0: If you've got your Bibles on this white Christmas, we're going to look at a classic Christmas passage that we've heard from and sing about. Um, I won't read all of it, but Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10 to start with. Then we'll come back, and, and thank you for standing as we read the Word of God together this morning. We've been talking about Redemption's song We've been talking about a lot of songs of redemption, uh, but redemption song, that, that song throughout the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and, and it's a song of God drawing us back to himself, redeeming us. And today we're going to title this message a gospel song. The word gospel means good news. And so we just heard about this, but it says in Luke 2 verse 8, in the same region, shepherds we were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. We would have been too. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, behold, I, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now that's a mouthful. Good news. Say that with me. Good news of great joy that will be to who? All the people. And Father, we thank you that we are recipients of that good news. And like those shepherds, we have something to receive in this good news, but something to extend. Lord, speak to us as we celebrate what you've done and the fact that we can cooperate with you in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Back in the late 90s, when I was a student pastor in Eastern North Carolina, um, I had a mentor by the name of Dr. Uh, Bill Bennett. And he had pastored churches from 80 to uh, 8,000 members. And he had retired there in the Wilmington area. And I would meet with him and uh, usually two or three others on Friday mornings at about 6 a.m. It's interesting. I have kind of continued that over the years to to meet with men at 6 a.m. on Friday mornings, Uh, but I would be a part of that group, and he would teach us so much about um, life and work and ministry and family and you name it. I learned so much from from Dr. Bennett. I remember he came. uh, He's with the Lord now, but he was in his mid-70s when I was there, North Carolina, late 70s when I became pastor here. He came and actually preached for me a few times, and uh, he said, Robbie, you, you, you and Trinity, there's, there's kind of there's just a good marriage there. It's a good, a good fit for you. And I said, well, there, it should be because I was in that church as a teenager and much of my mission and vision was established as a member of that church. I didn't know God would call me back home one day, but he did. And uh, I said, you know, the, the church, and I think thought about that even this week, the church here was established over 40 Years ago now, last year we celebrated our 40th anniversary and it was established, if you go back and you read our history, to be a a lighthouse to the community, to be a church that was committed to involvement in international missions and a church that cared about young people reaching the next generation. And and leave it to me to want to alliterate everything, but we uh, incorporated in our mission statement those three categories neighbors nations next generation in fact uh, pastor ben mentioned these flags behind us we have been in over 40 nations as a church with individuals and teams that we have sent uh just just the trinity family we've been in, in over 40 nations in those 40 years taking the gospel of jesus christ and establishing partnerships in those countries white christmas is a time to celebrate that going back to dr bill bennett Uh, Dr. Bennett is the one who um, came up with the idea of the White Christmas Service. In fact, there are churches uh, all over the place that still do a White Christmas Service because he challenged other churches to do this. And that was to take Tom and uh, say, hey, we want to minister to the needy in our community. That's our Jerusalem. But we also want to go to the uttermost parts of the world And so I will say more about what the International Missions Offering that we call the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is really all about. I'll say more about that in just a moment. When we read this text this morning, everything that we're all about just kind of flows naturally. In fact, there are some parallels in the story of the shepherds. There should be some parallels in their story and your story. Think about your story this morning and see how it aligns with the story of these shepherds. I want you to notice in the text, that the the section we've already read, there is, number one, a heavenly interruption with the good news. A heavenly interruption. I I almost said Pastor Dave. Is that a prophetic utterance? Didn't Mr. Dave do a, a wonderful job explaining what it would have been like for an explosion of those lights of the heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest? It says that, Shepherds were staying out in the fields. This is in the region in the uh, Jerusalem-Bethlehem area, the the town of Bethlehem, very close to the city of Jerusalem. Some people try to speculate because of this verse at what time of year Christ was actually born, whether it was in the winter or in the spring because it was at the time of the year when shepherds would watch over their flocks at night. Um, The fact of the matter is, there's a great chance that these shepherds were taking care of the sheep that would be involved in the sacrificial system in the temple, which means that they would have been on duty year-round. They were just common, ordinary men through whom God would do extraordinary things. And so we can't really speculate exactly what time of year based on the fact that there were shepherds because this would have been a normal routine that was interrupted by these heavenly hosts, making that night anything but normal, we heard about that tremendous interruption as we sang about it to open the service, and then later with the children that the angels stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were terrified, but the angel said, don't be afraid for I proclaim to you good news in the Greek, euangelion. It's the prefix for beautiful in the word for message. I've got a beautiful message. I've got good news. We get our word gospel from that. And so that's why I've titled this message a gospel song. Some of you hear the word a gospel song sometimes Uh, We think of musical genres that are popular today like black gospel or southern gospel or contemporary gospel, but this word gospel just simply means good news, specifically the good news of Jesus Christ. That's news of great joy, and it's news for all people. Don't let somebody try to tell you that the gospel is for a select, frozen, chosen, It's good news for all people, but all people are responsible to respond, response able. We have to respond to the gospel to as many as received him, and only to those who received him. To them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped Tightly in cloth. Now, you know, they design. Now that I'm a grandparent, I've learned how much things have changed since my kids were born. Now you you purchase swaddles. It's already swaddling them uh, together. You don't have to uh, pretend you're a professional uh, at at wrapping a burrito or something when you swaddle that child. It, It comes already done for you. It's wonderful. But they had to wrap him in cloth and swaddle him there. And he would be lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying glory to God. This is the the Gloria in Excelsis Deo in Latin. And many believe that the, the tune of that Gloria in Excelsis Deo has traveled through the centuries, some even arguing all the way back to the angelic hosts. We know here they were saying, now we often speak of it as angels singing, Um, It's interesting. It's hard to find a place in the Bible where the angels actually sing, but they were saying and probably melodiously saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he he favors or or to those who receive that favor, on those whom his favor rests. And so this heavenly interruption was something that was new to these shepherds, but have you ever noticed how many times there were beautiful heavenly interruptions in the Bible? And it should parallel something that's happened in your life and in my life. Um, Abraham, as, as God established a nation that would become the nation of Israel, Abraham was interrupted and, and God said, Hey, you're going to pack up your family and you're going you're to move west. Where are we moving? I'll show you when you get there. Boy, don't you think his family loved that? Ladies, you especially like that, right? If your husbands come to you and say, "Yeah, we're, we're moving west. No, that was an interruption that shook things up a little bit. Think about Moses. You're going to do something difficult. His heavenly interruption was in the form of a bush that was burning, but it was not being consumed. And the Lord spoke to him from the bush and said, take off your sandals, You're standing on holy ground, and I've got a job for you to do. You talk about a heavenly interruption. Everything was going to be changed from then on. Jacob, after sending his family across the creek, is jumped by the angel of the Lord in a wrestling match with what many believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany. As the angel of the Lord wrestled with him and he wouldn't let go and begged for the blessing of God. His life would be forever changed as a result of that. Joshua, a similar encounter with the angel of the Lord that said, I'm going to be with you as you go into this promised land, this new season of life. You've got battles to face, but I'm going to be with you. It was an angel of the Lord who appeared to Joseph. And you talk about a heavenly interruption The one to whom you are betrothed is expecting a child and you're not the daddy. And then we're specifically told that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and explains that what you have living within you is from the Holy Spirit. All this was explained. These were heavenly interruptions. But here, this major announcement to these ordinary men, through whom an extraordinary message was going to be delivered. A whole army of angels begins to appear in the sky, interrupting their lives forever with the greatest news to ever be proclaimed that Messiah has come. Here's the question. When did you hear the gospel song? When did you understand with clarity That Jesus Christ has come to die for you, that he has risen to give you life everlasting. Can you remember that moment? Oh, I know that my parents told me about Jesus, and I I know that I had a faithful preacher who proclaimed the good news, but when did it pierce my heart? I remember I was a 10-year-old. I was at a kid's camp, Hard Labor Creek State Park in Rutledge, Georgia, and a pastor stood and he proclaimed the good news and I understood that I need to appropriate faith, that I need to turn from sin and self and trust in Christ alone. That was the gospel. That was the good news. And when I spoke that audibly, it, I tell you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we began to, with our mouth, proclaim that we have trusted in him and something began to change Jesus had gotten hold of my heart and changed my life. That was the gospel song. Real and powerful. And and so, your heavenly interruption may not have been as dramatic as Paul on the road to Damascus when he saw a bright light fell off his horse and Jesus began to say, why are you persecuting me? And he saw the light, God got hold of his heart, changed his life and made him a missionary, greatest missionary the world's ever known. Maybe you're Gospel song, your heavenly interruption wasn't as dramatic, but I'm telling you, it was as real and it was as powerful when you heard the good news of Jesus Christ. It was a heavenly interruption that comes to change the life of those who will receive it and believe it. Number two, I want you to know it was followed by a hurried investigation, a hurried investigation of the good news. They had to investigate. The angels left them in verse 15. They returned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They knew they had received something from Almighty God. They, it was undeniable. It was a heavenly interruption from the angels. So they, verse 16, hurried off. They began to investigate. They found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. What did the shepherds do? They did what you and I probably would have done if we had had that heavenly interruption. They hurried to investigate what God had told them. If the Savior of the world had come, if this was true, this was an urgent message. It needed to be hurriedly investigated. We need to know and we need to know now. While we sing the gospel songs in our churches, I'm afraid that the church, by and large, has lost a sense of urgency. We, we've lost the urgency of the gospel to make it known and to make it clear. I believe we have forgotten our Lostness, our depravity, our sinful condition, our need, and the world's need for a Savior. As a pastor, I get the questions a lot of times, especially related to prophecy, because of what's taking place in the Middle East, what's going on. In Israel in the moment, what's going on with some of the Arab nations surrounding them? What's going on with the European Union? What's going on with Russia? What's going on with China? And what's going on with the political environment in the United States? And people say, Pastor, can you help us interpret the signs of the times? I've said this before, but I believe we need to start looking for the time of the signs, not just the signs of the time, because the church, I believe, is going to be out of here one day in in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, we think not Here's what we need to be interpreting. We need to be looking at all these events and realize they're telling us something. They're telling us the world is lost. They're they're telling us of the depravity of humanity. Nation at war with nation, but families at war with families. Violence in the streets of this land, a rejection of God's standards of holiness, of righteousness, uh, of definitions of God and family. It's revealing something to us, all right. It's revealing that we are lost, that we are depraved, that we have a sinful condition, and that we need a Savior to pierce the darkness. The light of the world has come. And not only has the church lost its sense of urgency, the world has, has lost any desire to investigate the claims of Christ. They simply don't want to know the truth. Why? Because if we go back to John chapter 1, we know that the light shines in the darkness. But see, the gospel tells us that the world hates light because their deeds are evil. It's not that, see, see, sometimes we get it in our mind that they have intellectually investigated all the claims of Scripture and that they are so intelligent that they have come to an intellectual conclusion that the claims of the Bible can't be true. Folks, that's not it. What they have found is that the Bible contradicts the darkness that they so love and that they hate the light. And as a result of their deeds being evil, they want nothing to do with it. So what can we do about it? (laughs) What can we do about it? We can understand that Christ in us calls us to be the light of the world. That heavenly interruption that led to a hurried investigation, leading to the truth that Christ has come, that that God has stepped out of eternity and into time the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When we embrace that truth, like the shepherds, it should be followed by a happy impartation of the good news. A happy impartation of the good news. What did they do with what they discovered after seeing them? Verse 17, they reported the message that they were told about this child. They began to tell other people. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These shepherds, I think, became a picture of what the disciples would be later, ordinary, as Acts says about the disciples, ordinary uneducated men that turned the world upside down. Ordinary men through whom God got hold of their hearts and would do extraordinary things. Mary is treasuring all these things in her heart, meditating on them. By the way, she would eventually... See her son die on a cross for the sins of the world. And see her resurrected son commissioning the apostles to take the good news to the nations. Don't think that Mary was always quiet. She would uh, burst forth in song, Luke chapter 1. But the shepherds returned different how were they different? Now they're glorifying and praising God. So their witness was in their words, articulating with clarity that they had seen the Christ, the Messiah had come, but also in their worship and celebration and praise of who he is. For all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. They had become witnesses imparting the good news to those around them, a life of making Christ and his glory known. For all of us, there should be a moment in time we could point to where there was a heavenly interruption. We understood the good news and we trusted that there was a hurried investigation where we were able to clarify and articulate that good news and a happy impartation, we make it known to others. So that's what we come to celebrate today. We call it White Christmas, but it's an opportunity for us to impart the good news through the way that we minister the love of Christ in our community. Jesus said, as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it also unto me, but also how we give to missions around the world. We call our international missions offering the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Some of you grew up hearing that. For others of you, it's probably new. Who was Lottie Moon? Charlotte Moon, known as Lottie, had rebelled against God, the faith, and her parents in her teenage years. She ended up going off to college at, to the Albemarle Female Institute in Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, some of you know that the University of Virginia is in Charlottesville, Virginia. And at that time, the University of Virginia, sorry, ladies, that was for the the males, and the Albemarle Female Institute was the female counterpart to the University of Virginia. While she was there, she was invited to a worship service at First Baptist Church of Charlottesville, and she heard the good news. And the gospel of Jesus Christ so changed her life, she committed herself to two things to know Christ better and to make him known. To know him better and to make him known. Paul said, I want to know Christ and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And She was willing to do that. That I might somehow attain to a resurrection knowledge of Christ and she wanted to experience that. For her, this meant answering a call to international mission. She would spend four decades as a missionary in China. And she would remain single during that time. wasn't that she didn't want to be married in one particular season of life. She had the opportunity. But the man that was interested in her hand put question marks on the Bible. And so she had little to do with him. She was faithful to God's word, faithful to the mission. But she noticed something. And by the way, China, when you go back to the 1800s, was not this place with thriving, modern cities. It was primarily an agrarian society, impoverished all over the nation. She would sacrifice much. But she became famous for writing these letters back home to her church, to the mission board, what was called the foreign mission board that is now called the International Mission Board, IMB, sending thousands of missionaries all over the world because of your faithfulness in giving. She would write to the mission board, she would say, we need two things. (laughs) We need more financial support over here and we need more help. We need to raise more money. And she would write these letters encouraging people to give to support the mission. And so the International Missions Offering eventually was named after her, I think around the year 1888 that we would give to international missions in honor of someone who had given their life, was giving her life to international missions. So today we have an opportunity to say, hey, I've had a heavenly interruption, I know Jesus. I've had a hurried investigation, I've wanted to make sure that I understand the gospel And now there's time for a happy impartation. This joy, this good news, I can make it known to others. Now you should want to do that in your witness, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you find yourself. For some, it may mean answering a call to take the gospel around the world. For others, it may mean walking across the street for the first time. But today, this morning, you have an opportunity. Many of you brought gifts wrapped in white. You say, why do we go through all of this? Why the pageantry? Because it reminds us of the seriousness of saying, we wrap gifts and we make a big deal out of giving to one another. What about what we give to Jesus? And as we're giving unto the least of these, we're giving it unto him. But also there is a basket right here at the front of the platform. Every dime placed in this basket, 100%, goes to international missions. Goes to support the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. And so, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then you have an opportunity to respond. I'll explain more in a moment, but would you bow your heads with me? If there's one here who's never trusted Christ, it's not about what you need to give as much as what you need to receive today. What Christ gave for you, he